мною принято решение о проведении специальной военной операции. We are under attack. It is an attack against Western democracies and on the institutions that bind them. What Russia is much more interested in doing is depicting the West as a failure. Regime and President Yanukovych, they were trying to protect their enormous wealth. This is Kremlin File. just so excited today because we are welcoming Natalie Fogel. Natalie, welcome to Kremlin File. Thank you very much. I've been waiting for this invitation, but I never <laughs> dared to ask. <laughs> Natalie, we told you before you come on that, okay, you need to bring, first of all, very relaxed and everything because we know that Natalie is a, a, a psyops. No, she's, she's done all sorts of things in her life. Uh, did you bring your coffee, Natalie? Yes, because you asked. Oh. Um, not only did I bring my coffee, <laughs> but I picked that that mug, which is an original FBI, mind you, not a copy um, <laughs> mug. Uh, I am very, I am the very proud owner of this mug. I uh, drink out of this mug only on very special occasions. Oh, oh. you brought it here to Kremlin. Fantastic. Fantastic. Well, today, Natalie, we're going to be talking about some, let's say, some sticky topics in, um, related to Germany, spies, for example, and all sorts of recruitment. And that's what I wanted to get into now uh, just to kick everything off. Okay. Right. Um, because one thing that I'm seeing personally in my own research is that I see a lot of people who are either on social media, in the press, um, media, let's see, national public figures. And a lot of times we say, oh my God, this guy or this woman is a Russian asset. And I think that um, sometimes we make the mistake, right, of putting everybody into one basket. Okay. So what I wanted to ask you, first of all, um, what, how do the Russians actually recruit, okay, people that they need, either collaborators, assets, and different things like that? And then the different, right, like, what kind of person, okay, are they looking for? All right, first of all, and then we'll go on with some other, okay, some other topics as well. Can I just right. add well, one question? You. Sorry, yes. can oh. I just add and influence agents, because that's extremely yeah. important right. category of recruitment. This is what I just wanted to say. I um I come. I mean, I've been um uh, recently speaking to to a colleague uh, on his podcast, and he stressed the uh, counterintelligence um aspect of this. And um, of course, I have studied this, and of course, um, I I I do not have personal field experience in that uh, regard, but I have studied that. Why? Because I deal with influence operations all the time. My job has been uh, in the last decade to uh, to uh, to to spot them, to um, to scout um, elements who could be helpful in uh, detecting them, uh, countering influence operations, uh, detecting also disinformation and rolling back disinformation. And um, it's a job that is um, that, that that is difficult because sometimes you need to take the gloves off, 
Mm. Um, it requires uh, an understanding of the field. Uh, and um, you need above the level uh, of the political context, you need uh, to be able to operate a field that is uh, a minefield. Um, mm. You do not have only helpers when you are looking at uh, for people who uh, might be uh, pushing foreign interest or hostile interests uh, in the country you are um, you are monitoring, um, and be it in the media, being uh, be it in the professional or the political sphere. So um, yes, uh, you're right to say that we are very quick to call somebody an agent who is actually an asset, uh, or even someone who is a useful idiot and that hasn't understood uh, in 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 the mess he is uh, is trapped in. Um, and then there are fellow travelers, and then there are opportunists, uh, turncoats, uh, people whose profiles are actually um, quite advantageous for uh, for the other side, just because uh, their profile can be exploited. And uh, in terms of vulnerabilities, um, of course, we have the classic, uh, when you know the standards, mice, you know, um, but but above that level, the, the the Russians are very quick at at spotting occasions, at spotting new faces, um, and they are very good at cultivating. So <clears throat> they have the experience of the of the Soviet Union. Um, they are um, when they do not create a crisis, a societal crisis. Uh, they are very good at um, actually spotting them when they are arising and at ex exacerbating the crisis and at spotting the elements who are helpful at exacerbating the crisis. So those people, of course, get spotted, scouted, cultivated and put in the position of serving, in that case, the interests of a non-allied country, the Russian Federation. Um, against sometimes their own country. Um, so, so this is a very difficult um, issue to tackle. Um, we have seen that in Germany, for instance, with the Querdenker, the anti-anti-vax the, the, the movement. Um, and um, if you remember, at the very beginning, we had to deal with people who were not systematically pro-Russian, not even contemplating mm -hmm. um, adhering to, to Russian disinformation, but who were brought very, very um, subtly uh, to actually pushing Russian disinformation. And um, if anything um, is relevant in this context, it is to study how somebody who is not really a political person, not really interested in, in, in political affairs, who is just, who likes, uh, who, is, who doesn't like um, vaccinations, who likes natural medicine, and who is mm -hmm. all kumbaya and all 
loving the nature and uh, you know mm -hmm, mm -hmm, how mm -hmm. that type of person can be brought to be instrumentalized uh, to a level where it is demonstrating <laughs> against the uh, the Americans in front of the American embassy because that person is now convinced that the Americans have hijacked all serum on the market, uh, have hijacked uh, deliveries of masks um, and and want to keep that every everything for themselves. And um, from the state of somebody who just doesn't like vaccination and lost the nature, to an active, uh, operative, yeah. and demonstrating with far right, among other forces, far right movements mm. in front of the American embassy in Leipzig. There is a whole story that, that needs to be studied. And that's the role of counterintelligence. Okay. Yeah, no, I mean, I, I often look at people even here um, who I see, they're on either their personalities, you know, either on on social media, they get like followers, and then all of a sudden they go boom, and they've got forty thousand, or they get two hundred thousand. Um, and you used a word that was really, I, I'd like you you to expand on it just a little bit, because I don't think the Russians go in because a lot of people say, oh, there's compromat, compromat. Everybody's using this word, right? But the way I look at it is sort of the devil is really attractive, right? If we think of the way, you know, that they actually operate. You use the word cultivate. Can you just expand a little bit on that? What do you mean by cultivate? What do they actually do? Well, if you consider that a, a target person is someone who has a psychological profile, a personality, weaknesses, strengths, vulnerabilities, all this is documented, it's analyzed, and um, it's done professionally. Uh, and uh, and what comes out of a psychogram, possible advantage that uh, this person uh, can bring uh, to the cause or to uh, the mission, uh, in that case of Russian intelligence. See how they use oh, wow. um, the target person for their own benefit. That's the understanding behind. So that person will have strength, but it will have weaknesses. And the weaknesses will be cultivated along the line of complexes, for instance, or aspirations, mm. or frustrations. All this will be fed by a contact person later a handler uh, because they promise themselves that this target person will bring something to them information influence opening doors can be used in any way hey, uh, possible and this can be a very low rank secretary in an administration because they think she could play a potential role in the future or a high-ranking uh, uh, personality political uh, um, you know somebody who is in on the political scene uh, yeah. but we should not think that they go after the big fish no automatically no. they they also go after little hands 
Um, so this is the, 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 the mentality behind the cultivation. It, it, is, a, it is an art uh, in, and in the trade of intelligence, it plays a very important role. Specifically because the fact of time is, in, is important. Uh, so it, it takes many years, um, mm. takes patience, it, it takes a lot of psychological investment, uh, and, and the trade is complicated. The good thing is that since we had many defectors, we know a lot about this trade. <laughs> now they do it. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. Um, from your experience, because this is what I've noticed, that over the past several years, Russia's cultivation indoctrination, specifically on social media of people inside the countries, they have them pushing, have been pushing them into acting more violent. So whereas before they use them behind the keyboard, now they are pushing them to go burn masks, to go storm buildings, to go, whether it's America, whether it's um, Venezuela, Brazil, you yeah. see this like move of people who are now taking their anger and their frustrations uh, and clearly under the control, even if, you know, they don't even have a handler. It could just be on social media. They fall into a group where they kind of exactly. reinforce each other's the, feelings. Yes, that's and what I wanted they to move, say. Yeah, and then they move it out now to actually commit violent attacks. Have you seen that rise also? Yes, we have seen that specifically. I, I mentioned the, the, the COVID crisis. But we have seen that during um, during uh, after the the beginning of the war against Ukraine. Um, so yes, you have these uh, troll factories uh, with people who um, uh, infiltrate uh, chat groups um, um, everywhere. I mean, they are contacted. They are on Twitter. They are they are everywhere on TikTok. Meanwhile. Uh, you even find them on Instagram. Uh, can you imagine that? Um, and uh, yes, the, the, there is this um, this ability to federate um, anger and to exacerbate narratives. So from a narrative example, you have people who are fundamentally pacifists, fundamentally pacifists, because for instance, in the German language information space, you have uh, people who uh, still are heavily impacted by the, of course, the education they have received, um, mm -hmm. and the historical knowledge of what war means and has meant uh, when Germany uh, declared uh, the war um, against Poland and literally uh, created uh, the disaster we know we know with the Holocaust, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. So these people are fundamentally convinced that war is um, not the answer, and that Germans should not get involved in participating in acts of war in any type of form and be it only 
because the government agrees to supply weapons. So you have these people, and we know that from the 50s, these people existed in Germany in the 60s, in the 70s, and we know how the Soviet Union worked with these people. They actually were behind the peace movement, uh, which they infiltrated and completely controlled. Well, we have witnessed exactly the same thing happening right uh, now, um, just like they have uh, spotted potential uh, for radicalization of the queer movement, they have been behind the resurrection of the peace movement. And so you have these people who, of whom you would think they are not ideologically pro-Russian, turning into instruments of pro-Russian propaganda. And there you have all kinds of level. Of course, you have the level of disinformation. So uh, uh, the, the accusing uh, um, the, the Ukrainian government of being a Nazi government. And then mm -hmm. you have the uh, Azov-related disinformation. And then you have the fakes that are sent around about alleged crimes of uh, the uh, Ukrainian armed forces, etc., etc., etc. And you have among this group a readiness to accept that um, at the end of the day, uh, Ukraine should sit at the table and negotiate because war is not the answer. And Germany is portrayed in these groups for this target group as um, a country that is making things worse, worse because um, because it, it it agrees to um, to join the other allies in delivering uh, weapons to Ukraine. And the radicalization of the narratives in these groups is absolutely stunning. Why yeah. is it stunning? Because we are speaking of peaceniks, basically, right? who indulge in pushing narratives that are literally outrageous, extremely radicalized and um, blank disinformation. So pre the narrative prevailing among um, the pacifist is that, well, Russia offered negotiations, uh, Ukraine refused, Ukraine is the belligerent, then you have the alleged uh, the, the fairy tale, if you will, that the um, the oppression. It's not a fairy. It's not a right, right word, but this, the nonsense about the I alleged the word. <laughs> yeah, the alleged oppression, mm -hmm. uh, linguistic oppression, mm -hmm. Uh, mm -hmm. and and the, my experience is that countering with information will not will not help. I mean, if you explain that no. people in Kherson speak Russian and they still are the target of attacks from the Russians, yeah. <laughs> it's not it's not lending there, you know, no. it's not um it's not a narrative that 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 is accepted. These uh peace allegedly peace loving peace activists um negotiation obsessed at any cost um they they are an interesting group they are um almost as interesting as uh, as the first group I, I described um 
Now, how Russian uh, op the Russian uh, operatives um, handle them uh, mm. is something that that remains to be investigating. I mean, the German uh, counterintelligence has issued warnings in the past about the way um, um, the, the Russians uh, infiltrate such movements. Um, and we know that um, ideologically, uh, at, the, at the very beginning, the people who first demonstrated uh, against the war, they were uh, near to uh, um, Christian movements. They were not, I mean, they were not Ukraine hater. Um, haters but but eventually the the groups morphed into um a bunch of use, useful idiots and there again just like um just like in the example of the kvedenka it, it is really uh the job of uh, special specialists of info warfare to see how they got from a to z mm. Mm. Uh, and the radicalization is stunning, stunning, yeah. stunning. If you yeah. see what is said online and re oh, yeah. read the discussions in the groups, which if you manage to infiltrate one or two groups, you get the picture. It is, yeah, yes, and it's done on a wholesale scale now because of social uh, media. Yes. Because exactly. when KGB agents in the in the Soviet Union were operating, you know on European or U.S. soil, uh, you know, they were lucky if they can convince five people. Now they have access to billions of people to do it simultaneously, you know, based on their ideology, based on, you know, their motives and whatnot. So it is, it's definitely stunning. Well, I mean, mm. we are in, in the age of, um, of, uh, of, inform of cyber information warfare, and now we are heading to the Armageddon with... Um, AI, uh, AI. Mm -hmm. uh, so it, it, those are challenges. Um, but but as I said um, in another context, we also have professionals on our, on our side. I, I mean, mm. who know what they're doing? Let's hope so. I think let's so. I met so. A few. Let's cross fingers. <laughs> I met a few. Yeah. <laughs> All right. To to move on now. Um. I uh, work, you know, Natalie, I work in um, the Institute for European Integrity, and we're focused on the third sector. And the third sector involves NGOs, universities, charities across Europe, and basically in the West and the whole international community. And you have seen a lot of NGOs and universities and charities either being hijacked to push a Russo-centric history or to push Russian um, culture um, at the same time, you know, capture politicians, push Russia's uh, foreign policy. And then they use these politicians and various political figures, intelligence figures, former intelligence figures, and then they basically, you know, use them to attack the country from within. Can you explain the concept of uh, this, how it is possible for Russia to set up NGOs or to infiltrate universities or use charities, which, you know, you look at a charity, you think it's being done for a good purpose, how they are using this to uh, basically attack the West from within? 
Um, well, uh, the uh, the NGOs we have uh, we we have prominent cases. So we have front organizations. Um, and their role uh, is actually to look out for partners, uh, recruit multipliers, be it in academia, political field, or NGOs. Um, we had the prominent example of Yakunin, whose, whose institute is shut down. Mm. But now let's be clear about one thing. It doesn't mean the network is no longer working. Mm. It just means the institute is shut down. So I hear you and there do I stop focusing on Yakunin is gone. Well, I can tell you no. this, Yakunin is not gone. <laughs> He's just not operate, o- operating the way he used to, op- to operate because it's no longer possible even in Germany. Can you imagine mm-hmm. that? Mm-hmm. But let's remember that the German government has given him a work permit and a staying permit to operate the research institute um that he uh, um, founded and that is meanwhile chaired by his wife because it's to escape uh, sanctions mm. um but he um he was under uh, us and canadian sanctions when wow. he opened the institute in germany nobody cared germany was uh, uh <laughs> sad sad place for until very recently i hope they are they are getting they are doing their homework i think they are doing their homework they're i hope starting so. to actually I have until a very recently you could have pushkov under us and uh, canadian canadian sanctions traveling to berlin and organizing a breakfast background and then you would have le tout berlin rushing to talk to him Mm. Um, you have things that that are that are that have been happening. Um, investments of the Rotenbergs brothers that shouldn't have been happening because they are under sanctions. You have Usmanov's uh, um, activities as well in Germany. So Germany was a pretty open place to operate a a front organization in Germany was very easy very easy they are because mm. either they were uh, nobody cared or they had helpers or both hmm. you take your guess so okay. yeah <laughs> now and just to add uh, we're talking about vladimir yakunin who is a former uh, former intelligence agent and in the sadness you actually have france because he operated the dialogue franco russi uh which literally in france shared um, a location with Rosa Trudnichisva, which yes. by everyone is known as a front for Russian intelligence. Yes. So, I mean, you do have a, a partner in the sadness, France, and Italy, of course. I oh, mean, no, Italy no, Italy, though. forget it. I mean, there are... <laughs> yeah, I, I feel like they are... No, no, Italy's a special case. We're right there. <laughs> We're right there. Actually, actually, I want to ask you two things, okay, about that. One... um we have the Russian embassy in Rome, okay, has a huge role of coordinating uh, influence operations, but also coordinate uh, recruitment and everything like, is it the same? Okay. In Germany, first question. Second question is sort of, I don't know if it's related to that or not. I, this is just something that, that popped into my head. Um, Germany had the Stasi, okay. In East Germany, 
All right. What actually happened to this? I wanted girl? to actually get to that. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I okay. Wanted... So let's do first. What do we want to do first? Stasi and then we'll move into the embassy yeah. or yeah. Uh, let me. Yeah. Because I actually wanted to get to that and give a quick brief overview since we have you here uh, from Germany um, to give a brief overview of Putin. So for those who don't know, Vladimir Putin um, as a KGB agent, served in East Germany, in Dresden. His role was to recruit Stasi agents. Um, I actually had a source who had confirmed years ago that he was um, an intermediary between the Bader Mainhof gang, which was a terrorist organization, and Stasi and KGB, and that he used to sit at these meetings where this uh, Bader main have gang or Red Army faction used to conduct and carry out assassinations across Europe and bombings, explosions, you name it. Um, so that was one part of uh, Putin, which interestingly enough, a lot of people downplay his role. The second part of Putin, um, while he was in um, Dresden, he also at the time, you know, saw a scientist that was an expert in poisonings, silent poisonings, poisonings without a trace. And he had sent someone to, you know, one of his colleagues to try to compromise the scientists. They ended up, this is now in the 1980s, planting pornography on this uh, scientist um, a laptop a computer at the time. There were no laptops. Um, but at the same time, they were after his research of how to um, carry out poisonings without leaving a trace. And then we know that later on under Putin, Russia became, you know, the how they dealt with uh, their what they um, saw as enemies was to poison them. And, you know, wherever they were, whether inside of Russia or outside of Russia. And then we also have the third case which I am very proud of Germany after Russia's full-scale invasion, they put an end to the Nord Stream pipeline. But the Nord Stream pipeline was being run by this guy, Warnick, who was a recruit by Putin when he was operating for Stasi. So to wrap all of that up and to show how important Dresden was, including with protests, because then after the wall collapsed, Putin, uh, you know, protesters were rushing through. They took over Stasi headquarters. Then they came rushing to the KGB headquarters in um, in East Germany. And Putin was left terrified. I mean, this really shaped him and his psychology. As a person, he called Moscow. No one answered at Moscow. He had no mm. orders. They started burning documents, you know, to the point they almost burned uh, the KGB building down. And then he comes back to the Soviet Union and the Soviet Union collapses. And again, you see protesters and tanks in the street. And this is why you see his fear of protest and why he's always, you know, talking about color revolutions and whatnot, because he firsthand experienced it. So to wrap all of this up, what happened to the Stasi agents? What happened with, you know, the recruitment uh, because we also know Putin had recruited someone in Dresden, a Nazi, who he sent into West Germany to start a Nazi party. What happened with all of this? Where are these people today? And like, you know, what is the state of it? I know that's a very loaded question. Yeah, it's a huge question. <laughs> 
I'll start I'll start with that and then I move to to Monique. Um one of the problems in in Germany is uh that unlike in the Baltic republics the lustration hasn't been as thorough. It has taken place. They have removed people from office who were uh, too um, involved with the old system, but it was not a thorough lustration in the Baltic sense of the term. So it has many, um, many reasons. One of them is that when you try to unify a country, you cannot have uh, let uh, half the population uh, outside and um, have a potential um, uh, upheaval. So that I would that I understand. Um, where I sometimes have problems is the level of um, well-meaning and understanding approach to certain biographies. Hmm. These people are still in the system not in prominent uh, at prominent level but interestingly you have some showcases uh, and 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 they can prove a point one of these biographies interesting biography is the biography of Kirstin Kaiser Kirstin Kaiser has studied russian philology in russia in the soviet union and she went into politics for the Linke, which is mm. the com de, de facto communist party. Mm -hmm. And uh, when um, Matthias Platzek, who is a prominent advocate mm -hmm. for uh, Kremlin interests, wanted to build a coalition after he won the election in Brandenburg, she was supposed, supposed to become a minister. Except that the domestic intelligence begged to defer. Because Mrs. Kaiser was a Stasi informant. And not only that, while she studied in, in Russia, she was so zealous that she even that the information were passed to the KGB. So with this past, she eventually was unable to become a minister. This did not change anything to her trajectory because she landed a job as a head of a political foundation. You know the roles of political foundations in Germany. Yeah. Of the Rosa Luxemburg Foundation. And they sent her where? To Moscow. So there she sat until very recently. Kerstin Kaiser is has been inviting Matthias Platzek all, all those years to attend conferences in Russia. And um, she's a famous bridge builder for uh, German-Russian uh, cooperations, etc., etc. This is a typical career for me. And... Um, the but there are several such uh, examples um and of course now the elder uh, stasi um stasi uh, highest uh, higher mm -hmm. ranking officers have you know they're they're dead it was the mm. <laughs> okay yeah. uh 
the younger one that were like uh, Matthias Vanik, he was a major, I think, were younger guys. Um, yes, these people are still uh, around. Um, East German borns, um, but but those are mildly involved in the system, but still with such a past. So yes, they're, they are in the system. Um, yes, we can assume that there are dormant networks um, specifically uh, surrounding uh, uh, Nord Stream 2 and even Nord mm. Stream 1. Mm. Um, at the level of not contractors, but subcontractors, locally speaking, all this is um, assumable. Um, that's for one. Uh, for two, um, I'm not a specialist of uh, Vladimir Putin's career. I think there is a lot of disinformation as well. Um, I trust the worst. Um, <laughs> but... Um, there has been also a lot of disinformation when it, I mean, of course, <laughs> when it comes to what he was actually doing in in, um, in Dresden. Yes, he ran, uh, he did um, industrial espionage, or he mm -hmm. ran a network that was supposed to gather mm -hmm. information in Western Germany, and he was recruiting West Germans, that we know. Um, but concrete things um, are unknown. There is one thing that is known because the BND had information. The BND obtained information from a lady who was a friend of Putin's wife in Dresden, who was a Bolt German. So um, you, you can imagine the, the background and uh, who uh, reported uh, that about the um, private life situation of Vladimir Putin, his marriage, his drinking habits. I mean, he, he was obviously not the, the Vladimir Putin who, after the reputation laundering, he, after he came power, mm -hmm. he to power. At that time, he was a little overweight man, drinking a lot and philandering. And that was a known fact to um, to the BND. Um, but um, other than that, um, I, I really am not <laughs> I'm not the person to talk to because unlike what has been spread, I am not an intelligence expert. <laughs> I do. Uh, I do. Yes. <laughs> Sure. I, I watch influence sure. operations. <laughs> Let's see the cup again. I know, right? <laughs> and I watch the people watching over influence operations, making sure they don't succeed. Not I'm not an actor. I'm I'm just witnessing. I'm just looking. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So yeah, this yeah, is yeah. what I can tell you about uh the about uh, um what um what uh, Putin. Putin was doing mm. uh, in, in, in Dresden. Now, I can give you another example for a biography that has a Stasi past. There is a member of parliament uh, also with Die Linke called Dieter Diem, horribly anti-American, mm. uh, bordering racism, if you can mm. call that like that. 
because very strangely, anti-Americanism is never linked to racism because they don't, it's, but, but he has an allergy to anything American. So I don't know how to call it. Mm -hmm. um, and Dieter Dim is a West German originally who was um, recruited by the Stasi to spy on Wolf Biermann was a famous songwriter and intellectual who defected from East Germany to West Germany, a very, very important personality in Germany. And um, eventually the the wall uh, the wall fell down and it fell and 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 Dim was revealed as having worked for the Stasi and he landed uh, with the Communist Party and got elected. He sits at the parliament. And now get this one. Mm. Had a parliamentary assistant working for him, an aide called mm. Christian Klar. And Christian Klar is a convicted Red Army faction terrorist. I mean, he did his time, he was released. But that's the job he landed. And I don't know for you, but so, so Natalie, it's not even just the AFD, for example. You're giving us examples of people who are in other, no other parties. Because I'm oh, thinking yes. of the AFD, uh, the new information that came out about Vladimir Sedjenko, for example, yeah. uh, and how he was going back and forth. Right. Uh, he's been that's, there 17 times, getting money, you know, all sorts of stuff. No, 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 I'm not doing anything. And he is like a, a an assistant to one of the MPs who's, uh, no, who's that's right. Uh, with, so uh, the MP the in that case didn't do it himself. No. Some people with good information tend to believe that cases of MPs having direct contact with uh, Russian hostile uh, entities um, the, 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 that proofs exist, that direct contacts exist. But in that case, he uh, the entire thing was commissioned. So Sergenko uh, did the job uh, of, of basically, I don't even know how to name what he was doing, uh, but he, you remember how I spoke about the, the, the helping hands and uh -huh. the assets? Mm -hmm. So he's at one level above. I mean, this is already oh. agent work, what he's been doing. Okay. Uh, he's been receiving money for this. Um, he... Um, had contact to to Russian intelligence. Um, the surface that he was offering is literally fomenting um, fomenting um, a radical movement in Germany. So it is uh, um, at the level of subversion. Um, what uh, what we're discussing here and. Um, Yes, it's going to be hard to prosecute this kind of case, but it's certainly something we should uh, look into thoroughly because it's going to be a textbook case for the way uh, the Russian Federation is now um, handling this uh, type of activities. Mm. This is just not a political operative. This is an intellig intelligence operative. 
Um, and now, of course, he is working for this parliamentarian who is going to say, no, no. But there are too many coincidences with the with the AfD. And uh, uh, just like with the with the communists who uh, who regularly travel to the Donbass region, uh, the AfD, the both parties are um, have shall we say ties mm -hmm. to um, to to the to the Russian Federation. What form? Are, um, um, mm -hmm. I can't. Uh, you know, I don't have insight into the into the dossier, but it, it, it is clear that um, the Russian operations that are being uh, held on German soil have helpers at the Bundestag. This is clear. And this is nothing new. Uh, so we always focus on, you know, looking for spies everywhere. Mm -hmm. We should really do a lot of cleaning around the house of the Bundestag. There have been massive influence operations going on there. Um, some have been uncovered, and it's not only Russia. There was a massive influence operation by, run by the Azeris in the past. Um, the Chinese are also very active. Mm -hmm. uh, we know the Saudis are active. Uh, the Iranians, the Turks, everybody who has a, a, some some entry some door openers to the to the uh, Bundestag use uses them and then we have the problem of the foundation and I go back to what you have uh, said I know of no German foundation that hasn't been compromised in the past by the Russians and be oh. it only because they invited um, people who are not academics, but actually uh, intelligence people, um, or uh, agreed to organize events where um, the most uh, incredible agendas were discussed, um, or um, they agreed to give grants to uh, projects that were debatable. One of the uh, events uh, I have in mind, uh, because everybody says that the IFD and or the communists, yes, you I, you will find plenty of such events there. But uh, for instance, the CDU Konrad Foundation held a meeting in 2019. Uh, they invited um, uh, German MPs and um, all kinds of M MPs uh, from Serbia, from from Ukraine. The Ukrainian mm. representative was Mr. Medvedchuk. Hmm. Traitor. Um, but there you wonder where he's in Russia right now after <laughs> after being arrested for treason in Ukraine. Mm. Right. So you have uh, the, the, the Moscow office of uh, the Konrad Adana Foundation has been decried by everybody. Uh, wow. the, it's, it's just outrageous, outrageous. Yeah. These, uh, the whitewashing of the, the energy uh, relationship to, um, to the Kremlin or the energy policy of the Kremlin. Um, and so you have, and then to close the circle, uh, you have, when you speak of the responsibilities here and why Germany got there and how it got there, everybody says, yes, Merkel or Schröder. Yes, Schröder. 
Schröder, the beginning of the nightmare, Schröder. Mm -hmm. Some people say under Kohl it was not all that ideal either, but okay. Um, Schröder, Merkel, and then all kinds of politicians, and you hear all, you know, names. But I, I tell you, the acceptation for the Russia policy was pushed by academia and think tanks. Mm -hmm. And the utter disgusting aspect of this fact is that now there is a flying circles in talk shows of the very people who until the end pushed and justified the policy of the Merkel administration were not great friend of Ukraine's of Ukraine and defending Ukraine on TV and explaining Ukraine. Wow. And sometimes you wonder. Has I, the world gone upside stop. down? Yeah, just, just I can see you're going to blow a casket, <laughs> a gasket there. Sometimes you really wonder uh, if the journalists are can't use Google or amnesia or, or, or suffer from amnesia, because in the talk shows you can Google the guests and see what they used to write. One classic example, it was a big agitation going on against map for Ukraine and Georgia. The same ones that smeared both countries and are now doing the Zeitenwende tour, mm. right? Claiming all everything has changed. Um, mm. In academia, you have some professors who have written stuff where um, uh, you, you would say nowadays it's 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 collaborationism. Um, but now they have reinvented them themselves yeah. as as yeah. friends of Ukraine. Mm -hmm. This is nauseating, nauseating yeah. what is I going agree. on. There is an opportunism that is noise nauseating. Uh, and the acceptation of these people is a grave mistake, uh, not only through media, but also uh, sometimes you need to um, to tell our Ukrainian friends to do our their homeworks. Uh, not everyone who claims to be a friend of Ukraine is actually a friend is of a Ukraine. Usually there are in Germany somebody who got Ukraine in the position where it is now, uh, that now claim to be... Uh, and even if they claim to be a friend of Ukraine, you know, and publicly, I mean, we see even the soft influence, you know, peddling where, yes, Ukraine must win, must win, but they need to sit at the table and hand right. away Crimea and Donbass. So what kind of friend is that if mm. you're not acknowledging the genocide happening in Ukraine? And at the same time, you seem to be on the surface pro-Ukraine, but then you're like handing away land and, you know, oh, don't worry about the fact that you had villages you know obliterated and you had you have genocide across the country no, don't worry about it just sit down and you know hand away that and forget about it and get back russia back on no, you know okay. yeah. so um we have um the responsibility for the situation we're in has not been put on the table okay. everybody's doing we just change subject oh there is site inventor and now we are we Everything is, has changed. No, I, there are faces I don't want to see anymore. And I, there are voices I don't want to hear anymore. Mm -hmm. Because these people have literally blood on their hands. So I, 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 you know, I, I, 
I believe that I believe in redemption. I believe in all that, and you can make mistakes and things. But at least you have to uh, to take responsibility for the things that you did that went wrong, and not pretend. Oh, oh no, no. And there is another it's case. All over. Mm. Yeah, there is another mm -hmm. case like that was just because he knew that he would not be able to be after he'd been pushing the uh, or defending the um, the intervention of the Russian Federation in Syria. And it had been published in an organ wow. of a front organization called RIAC. Uh, he knew that he could not uh, reinvent himself as great friend of Ukraine, although he paraded with a Ukrainian flag, which I found yeah, nauseating. Okay. Oh wow! Now he has reinvented himself as China specialist. Oh, <laughs> oh. oh my God! I can't. Well, I mean, it's almost like Twitter. Everyone, everyone yeah. over the years, they go from Russia expert to COVID expert to yeah, they, they become, you yeah. know whatever satellite expert to whatever the topic of the day is. And Natalie, yes. don't forget my question about the embassy, right? Right. Right. So uh, what do we know? Yes, there are some embassy that play uh, a, an incredibly important role um, in the uh, in the conduct of uh, operations. Uh, for instance, Vienna. Vienna is a hotbed mm. of information, uh, mm. warfare and intelligence operations. Um, we have seen uh, Vienna pop up in the context of um issues uh, happening in the Czech Republic we know for instance that um uh, Vladimir Yakunin was a very uh, well seen guest in in uh, in Austria he even received one of the highest uh, medals you can get for merits uh, i don't know what kind of merit but uh of the Austrian Republic um mm. and he spent quite a lot of time there uh, we know that uh, Central Eastern Europe is often targeted uh, from uh, from Vienna, uh, mm. and certainly the Czech Republic is. Uh, the The embassy in Berlin was staffed with um, with uh, a lot of um, people whose uh, portfolio uh, was not mm. really the ones they had declared and were ac accredited for, and we saw mm. that when the uh, the first wave of expulsions happened, extraditions um, as well uh, of uh, family members. Um, and um, uh, we saw the role of the Russian embassy during the Khangushvili story, for instance. Um, but uh, we know that the, the embassy in Berlin is a central uh, for uh, not only information gathering, and it's m mostly what is happening there, but obviously uh, the coordination of wet jobs. Uh, so um, very odd things happen in, in this embassy. Some people fell off windows. Mm. Uh, that said, the 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 Russian embassy in Berlin is a central in a central for operations. It is strategically placed. Um, yeah. The bad news they are an unter den Linden. The good news is uh next door you have the Brits and the Americans. I sleep yeah. better. <laughs> and not true. to mention They're right hey, there. They're and right not to there. mention there was reporting recently, um, 
excellent reporting on um several Russian embassies that actually have antennas um for signals intelligence mm-hmm. right and on are, the roof. yeah and they're just conducting you know and then they're always strategically placed and you know like the Russian mm-hmm. Orthodox Church is always uh interestingly at the right place trying to collect information from but what do you expect it's run by the KG by a KGB officer oh mm-hmm. there you go there exactly you go. There you go. 100%. All right. So sticking with Germany, we have seen very, very interesting um, high-profile arrests recently. Um, In December, someone who was tasked with, uh, you know, uh, protecting Germany from Russia and in charge of uh, counterintelligence operations. And in fact, was discovered that he was working for Russia and um providing them with information. Then we had another case in January. Um, His name, Arthur E. He came, visited Florida, was interrogated by the FBI, and then in a joint um, investigation and operation, uh, as soon as he landed at Munich Airport, he was arrested and linked to Karsten from the December case. Um, Also, suspected of providing intelligence to Russia. And now we just had uh, Thomas, who came out and was recently arrested uh, for similar reasons. Can you talk to us about, you know, what is happening in the intelligence services? And also the other, after that, um, cover the insane plot by the prince who, you know, in in his... um, Heinrich. In his head, yes, who in his head thought that he was actually going to task a mercenary slash military group to violently overthrow the German government, murder German sitting politicians and install his own, um, you know, and be the king of the throne. So can you talk about both of those? So our friend Heinrich. Um, It shows how uh, cultish this uh, subculture can be. Also, if you read uh, what they post in their online communities, now these pseudo-monarchist groups uh, have more something that that goes along the line of the cultish movement uh, that has little to do with uh, uh, reality. Now, we all laugh because, of course, this is a total delusional loss of reality psychiatric case. But we know that uh, in Germany, politicians have been assassinated uh, by far-right activists. And uh, so this is why this this is serious as well, because you don't know... um, when you navigate such a, a community as a as somebody who um, studies um, information warfare, you have to be able to make a clear social mapping. So you might have a core like Heinrich that is completely, that is a case for not a political scientist, but a psychiatrist. Um, but ultimately, when you do the social mapping, you find people who are not delusional at all, who then are linked to organizations 
that um, have ties to hostile entities, for instance. Now, the wife is a Russian national and had ties to the Russian uh, embassies. And um, this um, is less if, from a Russian perspective, they approached the Russian embassy. I think the Russian embassy uh, was very clear-eyed that this was, this, they were a bunch of, uh, of lunatics, but Remember what I said, they see every target group, every target person which they try to recruit as a weapon. And the question is then, how can I use their services? And be it only uh, not subversion, but not, not um, uh, subversion, yes, but uh, of course they didn't hope to overthrow, the, uh, that they would overthrow the government. I think they were clear-eyed enough. But disruption, disruption is also one level. It's a bit less than subversion. And in terms of disruption, um, they look. They it took uh, a lot of time and resources for domestic intelligence to um, cut the case and uh, ultimately arrest the guys. Uh, and uh, of course, this is energy that is deployed there that is missing somewhere else. Mm -hmm. And um, it, this is a surgical tactic as well of, of Russian services to have many such disruptions going on, many directions, not only on the far right, also on the far left. Um, so there I could see why uh, these... Um, these ties to the Russian embassy can have been maintained to up to a certain level. I don't think the Russian, I think the Russian embassy sent them back, but the wife still had communication with the Russian embassies because our counterintelligence got a hold of mm -hmm. them. So um, yes, that's, that's my take on it. I'm not saying it was not a, a serious case because as I said, you never know who might, might gravitate around such movements as such. The guy is a buffon. Yeah. I mean, when and, I read the uh, case, it was, um, I mean, I, I half laughed and half was like, this is insane, you know, because assassinating a politician, absolutely, you know, that can be done. Yes. But if in his head, if he's going to walk into the Bundestag and replace it with a monarchy, um, that's not happening. Not that easy. But um, again, like you said, and, and this is all happening in the context and in the middle of, you know, Russia's full scale invasion of Ukraine. And it all goes back to, again, Russia's, um, you know, hybrid warfare operations over the past decade of polarizing countries to a point that neighbors can't even speak with each other. And right. at the same time, going after Western institutions having, you know, fringe groups elevated and questioning these institutions, tearing down the fabric of these institutions, which are what democracy is about. And it's literally, whether it's in America, Germany, Italy, uh, you know, France, you see the same thing happening over and over. It's just in some cases it's worse, other cases it's more mild, yeah. but it's the same operational tactics by Russia that they have deployed. Oh, absolutely. I mean, the, you know, I, um, 
I am I'm in a lucky position of um of having to do with a wide range of specialists who are have been working for agencies and who are not who are now in academia, and they all say the same thing. And someone uh, who is always repeating this is Professor Go Paul Gobel, uh, who is also teaching yeah. at IWP where I am mm -hmm. currently. Mm -hmm. And Paul Gobel says it's it's the same textbooks. It is exactly mm -hmm. the, same. the same. There is nothing new. The only innovation is um, is Social the media. internet. That's let me right. ask you. Let me ask you, Natalie. Well, two things. One, what do you think? Like, are you really concerned about the impact that AI will have on, let's say, the information warfare and stuff like that? Whether that okay, and that, even elections. That, even next yes. year, because my biggest yeah. panic right now is yeah. U.S. election and European elections and key um, seats in yeah. Europe. Because they've this already is, started I mean, I, I'm with scared. Poland. They've I I saw some stuff today. The social, the just basically the technology. Actually, let me right. ask you. Let me ask you, Natalie. Well, two things. One, what do you think? Like, are you really concerned about the impact that AI will have? on let's say the information warfare and stuff like that whether that okay, and that, even elections uh, even next yes. year because my biggest yeah. panic right now yeah. is u.s election and european elections and key um seats in yeah. europe because they've this already is, started I mean, uh, i'm with scared Poland. they've I, I saw some stuff today they've already right. started so so yes i agree they started with are... america already april i i conquer uh olga you've got a point there and certainly the, the 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 danger of carpet bombing of um of disinformation online uh, so basically you have to see the the, the 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 issue like this prior to an election a hostile entity can feed the uh, internet massively with disinformation and um Artificial intelligence programs actually throw back at you what they've been fed. So if we have a carpet bombing of disinformation, a false data, and it starts with false data, but ends with revisionism, right? Uh, hmm. If now zillions of texts claim that Crimea was always Russian, yeah, or... Um, that uh, the uh, the current Ukrainian government is the result of a putsch. And if this is fed in all thinkable and unthinkable languages on the, of this planet, and zillion-wise, we have a massive disinformation. It can be done with any piece of information, you know. I mean, if... Mm -hmm. You feed in the internet that Monique is 25 years old, blonde, and Swedish. The uh, <laughs> the, um, the um, artificial intelligence is going to throw this back at you. Yeah. So that's the bad side. The bad, the bad side. And then since we have China uh, uh, doing a lot of this, um, it is of course a problem because of the magnitude of the resources they have at disposal to conduct such operations. Now, we have one advantage. It is that uh, we have um, 
um, very good expertise when it comes to uh, artificial intelligence and if software can be programmed to do carpet bombing with disinformation software can also uh, uh, target such carpet bombings and um, neutralize a disinformation so there the, the question is who is going to be quicker um we have a lot of research going on and we have a very good specialists so i am on the uh, on the hand i'm worried on the one hand i'm worried on the other hand i'm also confident that uh, we could find ways to tame mm. the beast i hope that's okay. very interesting that you said this because you know, people have asked me like, you know, for years, like, how do we counter Russia's disinformation? What do we do? And, you know, and I said, you go to the experts for this. And they're like, oh, well, you know, I thought you knew. And I'm like, no, 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 no. <laughs> Russia <laughs> is excellent at disinformation operations. So you take their disinformation operations and you reverse engineer it and send yeah. back the positive, the truth right back into that and that's the way like you don't need to reinvent the wheel because russia has shown us the tactics what works you know how to do it they've laid everything out for us all we have to do is instead of you know putting back disinformation we put back information but using well, you can also see it that way that you make the target audience resilient Mm -hmm. And that's really, another, I mean, you are not yeah. going to stop disinformation from being disinformation yeah. being circulated by hostile um, entities, but you can make, make the target audiences resilient. And put the that's truth out, have the truth overcome. So if Russia puts out a fake story that's traveling to, you know, billions of accounts, you put out the true story that's traveling to billions of accounts at a quicker space, uh, or at you, a quicker time. Or you block, or you block uh, the vectors of disinformation by wonderful. detecting that where they are, great. which sites, etc., etc. Also, yeah. you know, they are doing this meanwhile with news aggregators, um, and our cyber experts are very good at that. Uh, in the alliance, I'm speaking of NATO countries mm -hmm, specifically, mm -hmm. our Baltic colleagues are very good oh. at that, um, um, putting uh, news, pro-Russian, but also not only pro-Russian, pro-Chinese as well, yes. news mm -hmm. aggregators that multiply because they are multifaceted sites. Mm. So they multiplied ad vitam aeternam, if you will, in cyberspace. Uh, at spotting them and uh, at um, uh, disabling them, at um, neutralizing their uh, their side. So, yes, this can be done. Our our Baltic friends do that, um, and um, yes, that's that's what I had to okay. say about that. Okay, good, good. What and, was your uh, last question? Yeah, no, I just want to know. I mean, with the war in Ukraine, okay, the war, right? Russia's war of aggression, right, in, mm -hmm. uh, in Ukraine. Um, are you seeing any new uh, narratives or any new methodologies that have emerged from there? And mm. uh, when it comes to new narratives, um, yes, well, there is the, 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 the new narrative is playing on the so-called so Ukraine fatigue. 
um, mm. and um, claiming that uh, the Ukrainians don't want peace, uh, that they have refused uh, peace proposals, and that uh, they are demanding too much. Um, and uh, this is this is the latest that uh, that that I could uh, that have been detecting um, okay. with the help of my colleagues who are uh, working on on the Ukrainian side. May I add, we're all ungrateful, apparently, you know, because we should yes. um, be extremely grateful because we are, you know, receiving tanks seven, eight months later while there's a genocide and our people are being slaughtered. But we're not grateful. And air so, defense system is still awaiting. It's and, still there. Uh, yes. So uh, there is that. Personally, the gratitude is rather on my side because I'm very grateful that Ukraine is defending uh, my freedom. Yeah, and but that is Same. a very, very seldom opinion Said. in Berlin. Yep. Exactly. Well, in Italy as well. It's all over, all over NATO countries. We should be in U.S. Luckily, we have a lot of support for Ukraine, even though the latest poll seems to be showing that it's slipping. We do have a lot of um support for Ukraine. But again, uh, you see the fatigue. I mean, like you see mm. people who do not want to go into another election. That's my biggest panic. My panic yeah. of how there is only one way Russia can win this. And this mm -hmm. is by throwing so much shit into every election next mm. year mm. in hopes of, um, you know, uh, I hate call it uh, reversing the the support for Ukraine, and that's my mm -hmm. biggest worry, mm -hmm. with or without Putin. Putin might not even be there, but you know, Putin is the face of the system. The system, yeah. regardless if Putin falls, is still going to want to upend the West in order to eventually bring them back to the negotiating tables to for sanctions, relief, and everything. So that's my yeah. panic that um they're gonna throw mm -hmm. yeah. everything they've been and working anything. on this olga they've been working on this since day one okay i mean here that's was the first thing you know don't no armaments to ukraine uh and then again i mean here we had a government that was up you know that was uh, defenestrated draghi was defenestrated because of all of this trying yeah. to replace so on and so forth so this is their big thing at least let's say in Southern Europe is no, we shouldn't be sending more, any more armaments. And we're seeing this, you know, grow and grow and grow, mm -hmm. uh, unfortunately. And, um, and this is what we counter every single day. This is what mm -hmm. we're yeah. In yeah. um, us, I mean, it's just, you know, now you have people questioning. I don't understand why uh, the counteroffensive is, you know, going so slow what is happening with american taxpayer money i thought we were sending them everything and i'm like well i don't know how hard it's to understand when for seven eight months people negotiate about tanks as the satellite images are showing russia sprinkling mines like sand yes i yes. mean so where is it <laughs> what is hard to understand yeah. you want to go and help assist you know to demine the millions of mines that were sprinkled because yeah People, you know, in Europe and U.S. were back and forth. We will send tanks. We won't. We will. We won't. We will. We won't. Missiles. Yes. Missiles. No. Uh, long range. Mm -hmm. Yes. No. I mean, it's it's the same story over and over. Yeah. 
yeah. but that's my yeah. worry. And I, and again, you know, yeah, we just need to make sure um, that that everyone is uh, vigilant for upcoming mm. elections and not rely on uh, all the agencies for America yeah. because no. they're so overwhelmed right now with actually processing information in front of them that on top of it, if we think we could sit back and watch, you know, them protect our election. Mm. I worry that's not the case and that we have to be the people on the ground protecting. No, yes, that's a good, that's a good uh, and, and attitude. My, actually, yeah. my New York, my New York motto, if you see something, say something. <laughs> and that's it. Yes. That's it. Okay. So Natalie, we're going to, we're going to say goodbye for now, because I'm sure that we'll have opportunities. Okay. Later on. Orthodox uh, in the church. season, Orthodox Church, Orthodox Church, Orthodox Church. We'll we'll be calling you back for sure. Okay, and um, and that's great. And okay. thank you. Well, so thank much. you very much for having me. I've been. Uh, it's been a pleasure. Yeah, thank yeah, you. for thank us too. Bye bye. Thank you. Bye. Hi everybody. If you enjoyed this podcast and you'd like to help us out with our independent work, please subscribe to Kremlin File on Substack, and on our YouTube channel. Kremlin File is hosted by Olga Lautman and me, Monique Kamara. Our production team is headed by Maddie Kaparov, and the theme music by Oreste Kamara. So please don't forget to visit our Kremlin File Substack for links to our socials and to wherever you'd like to listen to podcasts. <laughs>